0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 143 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is Rachel Bach and Rachel Aaron, who are conveniently the same person. Rachel and I met for the first time at RT when she realized that I was there and we'd spoken online and had never met in person and ended up having an impromptu coffee appointment where we talked about fantasy and writing and her presence at RT as a fantasy and science fiction author, but not a romance author. We talk about how she tracks the data of her writing process, the book she's written, Space Opera with Kissing, which I'm sure rings a lot of people's catnip bells, and we talk about fantasy recommendations for romance readers who might be curious about trying some fantasy or science fiction. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Evernight, the sexy new paranormal novella from New York Times bestselling author Gina Showalter, on sale wherever your fine ebooks are sold. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy it for your very own. Rachel and I talk about a good number of books in this podcast, but fear not if you are looking for recommendations or you miss a title and wanted to come back and buy it, you can check out the podcast entry at Smart Bitches Trashy Books. We will have links to all of the books that we talk about and if you have any other questions, you can leave a comment and we'll figure it out from there. And now, without any further delays on with the podcast. So let's start by having you introduce yourself and tell the lovely people at whom who you are and what you write. Well,
1: my name is Rachel Aaron. I also write science fiction under the name Rachel Bach. My best-known series are The Legend of E.L.A. Mompress, which is a rollicking, fun fantasy series starring a charming wizard thief. And again, as Rachel Bach, I wrote Fortune's Pawn, which is hardcore badass powered armor space opera with kissing so there's, there's kissing there's it's fun it's and uh it's starring debbie morris who is the biggest badass i could ever possibly write Woohoo. I, she gets described as like uh ridley plus starbuck and i'm like yes please describe this more and there's a lot of <laughs> and um, people also compare me to firefly and because it's a you know a small ship with a with intimate crew dynamic so if any of those are your thing give fortunes
0: upon a try did that, that comparison just make you need to lie down on the floor for a minute?
1: <laughs> I was going for all those things. I was like, yes, make it as awesome as possible. And my newest book is Nice Dragons Finish Last, again, as Rachel Aaron. And that is an urban fantasy about dragons, particularly the world's nicest dragon, who is a big failure at actually being a dragon and is thus kicked out of his home and thrown into post-apocalyptic Detroit where there's magic and it's just it's crazy and it's fun and if if you like your urban fantasy just kind of kooky it's it's a good time I like that one a lot oh yay that makes me so happy I love nice dragons finish last it's one of my I I shouldn't have favorites but it's the one I'm working on right now so it's my favorite (laughs) it's it's the world that I'm working on right now because I just finished the second book and I'm editing it right now and I'm really excited yay and yay and um I also this is getting along. I also write nonfiction as Rachel Aaron, and I'm um, my, the thing I'm most famous for is two k to ten k writing faster, writing better, and writing more of what you love, which is about it dramatically increasing your writing productivity. And that's been very popular.
0: Has that been selling well for you?
1: That has been my steadiest seller. It has continued. I don't do any advertising other than like my blog, which I do for all my stuff, right? And two K to ten K is—it's my little engine that could. It just keeps going and going and going. And That's I'm fantastic. Actually, it is, and it, you know what's so funny is like it was the very first book I self-published, and I just kind of threw it up. I didn't think very much about it. or put much work into it, and it—it's just been going like crazy. And I've actually really cleaned it up and made it much nicer because I was like, oh my god, these people are buying. It, it's ninety-nine cents. Right. So I was just kind of like, oh, whatever, ninety-nine cent ebook, and it's just—it just. It just goes and goes and goes. And so I've cleaned it up. I've updated it. And because that's what's great about self-publishing is you're like, oh, I, I should add this other stuff. You could just go do it. And then people and then, get an updated version. And then people get an updated version. So that's been really, that's really nice for me as an author, just because I want to, I want to have better quality control. And um, so I do that. And that's been great. And I'm actually doing uh, a sequel to 2k to 10k this year, hopefully actually in just the next couple months, um, which is going to be a, uh, a series that's called like, uh, it's kind of called the help series, because it's all like, help my plot is broken help my characters are jerks mm-hmm. and they're going to be just little books that focus on things like plot and tension and character dynamics and how to write really good characters and just sort of stuff that i've that i've learned and that i pick up because i'm a giant storycraft nerd i i love it i was an english major
0: i this is like my jam and so one of the things i read lot- about in uh, in 2k to 10k was that you keep data on all your books as you write them. I do. I'm a, I'm an obsessive
1: compulsive data gatherer. I love metrics. So what are, what are you
0: studying when you write?
1: Well, what I do, generally speaking, is when I, when I sit down to a writing session and, uh, I don't track metrics so much anymore just because I know them so well now, I haven't really changed in the last couple years. Um, but if I'm having a problem, the one of the first things I do is I always gather data. And I started doing this because, um, Sort of about the, uh, the middle point of my career, uh, the wake up call was I had to, I was writing the Eli Mompress series and I was almost at the end. It's five books long and I was on book, I think book four. And I just had a baby and I had to get that book done. And I was so busy and so tired and the deadline was looming. And I just, I was, babies do that to you. Babies, do, man, babies ruin writing. I'm telling you. <laughs> Them babies. And uh, if you're going to have a baby and you're a writer, like get ahead of schedule save yourself some time it takes way more time than you think it's going to <laughs> <laughs> all the time um anyway but so i was i was really desperate and i was paying for a babysitter for like 12 hours a week and i had 12 hours a week to write and i had to get a lot of writing done and that was actually what sparked the big jump of 2k to 10k where i went from writing 2000 words a day to 10,000 but the first kind of talking about the metrics which is a big part of the efficiency was that i was i was like okay can I make it? Can I make my deadline in 12 hours a week? And I had no idea because I had never measured how fast I wrote or how much I wrote. And I had like some vague numbers from finished books like, oh, this book was X number of words long, but I didn't know dates when I started. So I couldn't say it takes me X number of days to write this many words. And I was, I was just kind of appalled because if you're in any other business, like if I was a baker, And they're like, how long is it going to take you to make a cake? And I'm like, it's an artistic process. No (laughs) one will buy cakes
0: from me. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know when I can make you your cake. You're just going to have to guess. You you know, I don't know. Try
1: it next (laughs) Tuesday. But I might have like baker's block. So I don't know, but it's like that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a professional writer. It's a business for me and businesses run on numbers. Every business, if you ask that business, how long does it take you to do whatever it is you do? If they're a good business, they can tell you. And so I was like, man, I need to start doing this. And that's when I really started tracking my word counts. Um, Not only just to figure out how long it takes me to actually write, But to also, I started using them as a a gauge because when I'm happy writing, when Rachel is the writings going well and everything's happy and I'm trucking along, I routinely hit about a thousand words an hour. That's my happy writing speed. If I'm like really going gangbusters, I can get up to 1500, but a thousand words an hour is Rachel's doing well. And anything under a thousand words an hour is a sign that something's wrong. It's a sign that I'm having trouble. And when I see that I'm routinely writing under a thousand words an hour, I kind of back up and say, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? Why are we having, we're clearly having a problem. Is there like something that's unclear? Is someone not acting in character? Why, what's the holdup? And I use that sort of as a gauge. And I know this because I've routinely tracked my writing. I I also figured out like what time of day I write best. And because I just, I just, again, I recorded when I wrote, how many words I wrote and where I wrote. So I could get average words per hour. And what I discovered, because I would have bet you money, I was a morning writer, but I discovered the numbers clearly showed that I was an afternoon writer and I got my best hours in the afternoon at a coffee shop with no internet. Wow. I mean, I was, I was really trucking. That was when I was routinely hitting like 12 to 1300 words an hour. And so I I I acted on the information. I changed my babysitting window from the morning to the afternoon. And just by doing that, I made a huge
0: difference. And we're not adding more time. It's just literally being more efficient. Wow. Another thing you talk about in the book, which you can tell I've read, is um, because I was really curious about it from a nonfiction point of view because I don't write fiction as Mm -hmm. my job. I wrote a novella last year. Hmm. But I had a similar experience as you outlined in the book where if I had – I have this habit of my my son's elementary school sends home a zillion Xeroxes that are all in different colored pieces of paper and they're only one side, which just tends oh. to make me bananas. So I cut them up into eights. Eight. Yeah, right? It's like, oh, uh, you have a budget cut and you want to get rid of teachers, try using two-sided Xeroxes, people. Or sending no. emails. Yeah, that Send also emails. is a totally great idea. But no, I get pink and blue and green and orange and it's like, oh my God. So I cut those up into pieces of scrap paper and I keep them in a drawer, so when I need to write something down, we have a limitless, bottomless, never-ending supply of multicolored scrap paper, thanks to my mm-hmm. school district. But I noticed that if I wrote down on one of those tiny little 8th of a, 11 and a half by, or eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper, wrote down, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is what you're going to write today, I could bang that out at a really great rate of speed. Oh, yeah, and that was I first... had Right, I gave myself a little yeah. map, and that's something you talk about. That was my first big breakthrough
1: actually what happened was again I was in the middle of Eli 4 I was having a really bad time um I was just lost in my plot and I, I had it all worked out because I'm a plotter so I knew right. where I was supposed to go but I just couldn't make it work and this in this one particular scene it's a scene where Miranda one of my characters is having basically a, an argument with bandage that's supposed to re- who's another character and it was supposed to reveal all this information and set up a situation that happened later and it was it wasn't it it wasn't a bad scene, but I just couldn't figure out how to make them say what I needed to say, and I got stuck in the scene for like three days. Yeah. Oh, and I was just I was oh I was so mad because my time is just ticking away, and finally I just got so mad I just closed my laptop, and I pulled out my notebook and I just wrote down a sketch of the scene. Like, what did they say? What are we trying to do here? I said, What's the goal of this scene? Well, to get them to say X. Okay, how do we get there? And I just sort of did this very quick back and forth and in and about in about 10 minutes, I think actually more like 30 minutes really, I uh, I untangled the scene that I had lost three days to. And then when I sat down to actually write it, I knew exactly what I was going to say and exactly where I was going to go and who said what when. Right. And I finished that entire scene, that 2,000 word scene in about an hour. Whoa. And I was just like, bam. Because I knew I knew exactly where I was going and that's... You know, I was like, oh, what's the secret to writing fast? Uh, that is the secret. Just know what you're going to do before you do it. It's kind
0: of the secret to doing anything fast. And I know, you know? that I know that among writers, there's the plotters and the pantsers. Mm-hmm. But even, even though I had, much like any romance writer, I knew the ending. Mm-hmm. I had to get there. Once I had a tiny map of the next three steps, I was much more productive. And then those three steps would inform the next three. But I didn't always know those. So I was sort of half and half. And I... I didn't want to take too much of a look at the process of writing because I wasn't honestly sure if I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> and and for me, the big motivating trick was not actually because it was self-published. I, ha- I, gave, I gave myself deadlines by hiring people before it was done. Oh, <laughs> like, you're brave. Okay. You're brave. All right. I'm going to be on your schedule. What's the deadline? Okay. That's the deadline I will hit because I really wanted to work with this editor and this copy editor and they were really mm-hmm. brilliant, but you know, they are professionals. They have like, jobs and shit and they just don't like sit around waiting for me to you know make stuff can you can you imagine some people don't sit around and wait for us to make stuff uh, I know it's what the nerve of those people I know right so that is a book that has been doing really well for you yeah and it's and you know it's not making me tons of money because it's only 99 cents But
1: I feel that's fine because, again, it was a book that grew out of a blog post. It's only about 30,000 words long. And I really like that it's 99 cents because it's, you know, it's very easy to recommend. It's very easy. People feel good recommending it. And I get a lot of amazing email from it of people saying, oh, my God, your book changed my life. I've bought all your other titles. I love you as a writer because my voice in the nonfiction and my voice in the fiction are very similar. That Mm -hmm. conversational tone. Yep. And people really like that. And so... I'm I'm not really it wasn't really ever a kind of a thing to make money I never saw myself as a nonfiction writer but it was such a cool idea I really wanted to share it and I had such a great feedback from it and it's done it just does really well and and I'm expanding that now because I finally feel like I've gotten to the point in my professional knowledge and my knowledge of craft where I can actually help people with their own books because I've been writing since you know 2004 and it I mean, it takes forever to get good at this stuff. It is not an easy art. People are like, oh, writing—you write Dragon books, so oh, that must be fun. You just oh, sit down, oh, come on, a, anybody can do fight. this. Anyone can do anybody that. Anybody can like, do this. Do you realize how hard I work at this stuff? And how much I think about <laughs> it? it's exhausting, and yeah. it's fun. It's
0: so rewarding, but, but of course, everyone thinks it's super easy and that anyone can do it.
1: Yeah, and and I always laugh because like, uh. You know, they talked about when there was that. But way back in the day when there was uh, a big Trojan worm that was going around. This is back in the day. And it was stealing people's files at random. Yeah. The number one most popular file that everyone had was my novel, <laughs> Everyone's
0: <laughs> writing a novel. Everyone. Well, I know a lot of people um, who, who are work, work in publishing in some way who don't like to tell strangers at cocktail parties what they do. Because the minute you tell someone that you work in publishing, then you're going to help that person get their novel published that they're thinking oh, yeah. of writing someday. You you get besieged.
1: I hear I've heard uh, I've heard all sorts of horror stories about people getting like manuscripts slipped into the bathroom door and stuff. And yes,
0: I, I heard many horror stories. Don't do that. Story. Don't be that person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no one likes that. No, I wouldn't read anything that had been on a bathroom floor. Very
0: bad idea. So you were at RT. Yes, and you you
1: we you invited me up for coffee, and it was lovely. And you gave me a tiara, and it yep. was the best. Well,
0: you know, we, <laughs> I think I have to explain what happened because I'm going to sound like the creepiest human being in the world. But I know I've spoken to you online, uh-huh. and I know that I mean I I read Nice Dragons Finish last because I have a little dragon thing that's actually a very large dragon thing. Who doesn't have a dragon thing? Like to give you the dragons are scope amazing. Scope of my dragon thing. I love How to Train Your Dragon and How to Train Your Dragon too i love the sort of witty um not terribly physically strong but incredibly intelligent and Mm -hmm. smart-assed wily hero which is pretty much hiccup and so i play this game on my phone called dragons rise of berk where you have your own dragons because who doesn't want their own dragons And I like the banner in the background in this tiny little decoration so much that I took a screenshot of it and had it made into a cross stitch pattern so that I can cross stitch my own goddamn dragon. That is how far gone I am. It's really kind of sad. But anyway, now that I've revealed my extreme (laughs) dorkitude, like I have raised the dork flag. I knew I'd spoken to you online, and you had said something to me on Twitter about getting together. And I was leaving from the book signing, and it was that morning. And I said, "Well, I've got a pot of coffee, so bring your own cup and come up to my room. I promise, I'm not a psycho." No, I'm so glad you did that
1: because I didn't actually realize you were there until like that morning, and I'm like, "I'm gonna miss her." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And and for me, and and to make it clear, like I went to Romantic Times as an author, um, specifically for Fortune's Pawn, um, and um. My publisher was lovely and provided me with all these books and it was great. But you're but not I a romance was, writer. I'm not a romance writer. I read a ton of romance. I'm a very big romance reader. And I got to like, and so so as a fan, I was just freaking out. Cause I was like, <laughs> I was on a panel with Cresley Cole where I made a complete ass of myself. I,
0: I have done that on panels. I know that pain.
1: I <laughs> was just fanning guys I'd be so hard. i like, keep it together. Keep it together. Nope.
0: <laughs> nope. You're done. Yep. I I, you know, I like I, I had a big talk with Alona
1: Andrews, and that was definitely a keep it together, Rachel moment. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't terrify them with your incredible levels of fandom. And then your um, inner
0: 13-year-old is like, oh my gosh. She was
1: just, just freaking out, right? Yep. And, uh, I met Patricia Briggs. I, I had dinner with Tessa Dare, who is amazing. <laughs> and I I I'm pretty sure like she was just absolutely every bit as lovely as you would think she would be and um and we actually went out to this like texas uh, steakhouse because we were in texas and she ordered this plate of like country fried steak and gravy and they literally brought her this mountain of gravy and she was <laughs> like she was so excited it was so adorable she's like oh, i have so much gravy <laughs> i'm gonna eat gravy for dinner it was really really it was very good looking gravy i, I had a steak which was also very really good but um you were, we're there as a science fiction fantasy writer. Exactly. And it, it's so funny because like I, I was sitting, I'd be sitting on a panel and it'd be like, you know, really badass looking chick in tight leather and like a dude with abs and like a clinch cover. And then there's me with powered armor. You know, I I, I was it was a very kind of a strange situation. But I really, really loved it because romance readers are are some of my favorite readers. Because the romance community is so welcoming of other genres and like because when I put kissing in my military sci-fi I got a lot of are you sure you want to do this oh no kissing cooties man Because there's gonna be cooties in your powered armor you cannot have kissing cooties and and but you know what because my readership is about 50 50 male female and um I had very few complaints about the actual romance. I had a couple of complaints from people who either didn't think it went far enough, or thought there was too much. So it was like the amount of romance was in question, um, but the fact that there was a legitimate romance was just kind of accepted. Like I didn't, I didn't get nearly because I was, br- I was girding my loins for like the uh, true science fiction author. Brigade. But no,
0: everyone, everyone was real happy with it. No, it's, it's a total, it's a tonal difference, I think, between science fiction and fantasy communities Mm -hmm. and the romance community, especially at RT. I remember when John Scalzi was a guest because he was receiving an award. He came to RT. I want to say it was Kansas city two years ago and wrote a post on his blog about how he realized at some strange moment that he was the only dude in like a room of several thousand women No one asked him for his credentials. No one wanted to quiz him on how much he knew about something. It was like, you're here. There's a bar. Let's hang. It's a completely different kind of interaction from what I know of the two different communities.
1: That that is absolutely true. And like, because I've done a lot of sci-fi and fantasy cons and they are lovely. Don't get me wrong. They're really fun. They're really nerdy. It's very exciting because I'm also a big sci-fi fantasy fan and reader. So again, as a fan, it was very exciting. Um, But there is definitely sort of a geekier than thou thing going on, where you got to constantly kind of one up your geek cred. Whereas at RT, it was like, oh, my God, you're a writer. I'm a writer. What do you write? That's amazing. Oh, you read romance. I love Regencies. Let's talk (laughs) about our favorite Regencies. It was just this really, really warm, welcoming atmosphere. And every interaction I've had with the romance community. Has been like that. It's yep. it's just been fantastic, and I I hang out on romance blogs just cause they're freaking fun places to be. I that's how I found you. I was a giant reader of smart bitches back when I had my day job. Y'all were like my favorite thing to read <laughs> at work, and uh, and I got a bunch of book recommendations from you when I was first getting into romance because I didn't even read romance until I was out of college. I never even yeah well I never I my parents were big sci-fi fantasy nerds and they didn't read a lot of romance and I read like some Anne McCaffrey which kind of blurs the line because she's got a lot of romance in her sci-fi but uh I never read like a Regency and then one day I'm like that sounds really cool and I picked up I can't even remember what the first one was now but it was like a free book and I just kind of picked it up and oh that was the rabbit hole let me tell you like a couple hundred books later
0: and I love it. I do. It's true. And the minute you ask somebody at RT, oh, you're a writer. What do you write? Then you move into the what are you reading conversation. And then suddenly you have no money in your bank account because you just bought like 80 books.
1: And, and, and you just and you also you make you make so many friends at RT. And it's it's it was really, really fun. And I especially like because like the very first day I was like walking around. and I had no idea what to do. And I didn't know anybody. I'd gone alone. That won't last and, long. Yeah, and, and I saw this lady who kind of looked like she knew what she was doing. She had an <laughs> author tag on. I literally like amoebaed onto her. And she was a cowboy romance author. And I'm now terrible because I've just forgotten her name. Cowboy remember. romance You'll remember
0: at like three in the morning. I will.
1: I will. And, and uh, But she she just kind of hung out with me for a few hours, just kind of going to the places we needed to go because it's the very first day and we're kind of all getting registered and yep. whatnot. And um, and it was just like everyone I met was like that. Everyone I met was lovely. Yep. Um it's absolutely true. I met Carrie. Yes, I met Carrie. Yep, who also writes for you. And she My entire fantastic. crew was there. It was so fun. That was, it was the best, and we just kind of ran into each other in line. And she's yep. like, "You're Rachel Bach. I love Fortune's Pawn," and I was like, "Yay!" Yeah, because that never gets old, right? Isn't that it? It never best? does. I didn't think anyone was going to have read me, but a lot of people had again, because you know, same thing, romance readers. If you put some kissing in it, they'll give you a try. Uh, Whereas opposed to sci-fi readers, you know, cooties. Yeah. Unfortunately there isn't, and they're not all like that. There's a very large body of sci-fi readers who just want their fun rocket ships and don't really care. Of course. Uh, They just want you to write them a good book, but there is definitely a very vocal minority in the sci-fi community that really thinks that these softer emotions do not belong in space, which is just stupid. Because if you have people, they are going to have, have feelings. You're going to have feelings. And I think it's, you know, male or female, I think it is completely unrealistic to have a character who does not have human emotions, unless you're writing a book about nothing but androids, in which case I, w- I think I would have a hard time getting attached to that book unless it
0: was really well done. Yeah. Because there's no connection. So who are among your fame fame famous favorite who are among your favorite romance authors that you love? I mean cuz you said you started re- reading romance much later in life than some of us. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of sad about that cuz I, I I don't worry you've got plenty done of time. So much
1: more. I know. <laughs> my husband had to put a a Kindle uh had to put a uh, a limit on my Kindle because I was spending <laughs> Because I, I would just buy books at three in the morning. Yep. You know? And I wasn't really thinking about it. He's like, Rachel, you can't keep doing
0: this. You're going to bankrupt us on novels. Which is the best way to go bankrupt on novels, Of course. Obviously. I remember and, the um, first time that happened to me, I was homesick. Uh-huh. And I – this was years and years and years ago. And I read a book and then I immediately bought the next one and I immediately bought the next one because I was sick and I didn't have anything else to do. And it was Meg Cabot. So, of course, I was mainlining it because her books are like crack. And my husband got a call from the credit card company because there had been these rapid hits on the credit card from this one particular location. And, and, and he had to call me, are you buying books from your bed? And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. And it's awesome. I didn't even have to get up. I could just do it on the device. This was, this was just amazing to me. Oh yeah. Well,
1: from, for readers that uh, from authors that I love, I obviously love a lot of urban fantasy. I mentioned Patricia Briggs. She's I amazing. Love her. She's amazing. Um, I, I really love uh, Kalena Price's Grave Witch series. And full disclosure, Kalena and I are friends, but I liked her book before I was her friend. It was that good. And then cool. I met her and I fangirled at her like crazy. Um, and her Grave Witch series, and they have a lot of pretty hot romance in them. On um, uh, the Paranormal romance, I really liked uh, I really like Cresley Cole, All the Immortals after Dark Books. Um, let me tell you how jealous I am of that world and how much I wish I'd thought of it.
0: Because I just love it. The world of the immortals.
1: Yeah. If she ever needs someone to ghostwrite, I have like 30 immortals after dark books I want to (laughs) write. You know, Uh, Kresley, if you're listening to this, I swear I'm not creepy. I'm sorry. I creeped on you in a panel. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but I just think it's the, I think it's the coolest idea. And I think Valkyries are just the best and just so funny. And the, the, the romances are so hot and I just love them.
0: I remember when I read I, don't rem- I can't keep the titles of those books straight in my head, but the one with the... The, the titles are actually really bad. I don't know who does her titles,
1: but they're just impossible. Well, they.
0: I, I think the idea was that they would take one word from the previous title and use it in the next one. But for me as a reader, it ended up that I can't keep them all straight. And I have repeatedly grabbed the wrong one off the shelf only to grab a different one. And it's still wish, not the right book.
1: And they don't number them either. So you can't even remember oh. the number.
0: it's It's...
1: <sighs> it's, it's, it's Publishers don't do this. Please give us numbers. Numbers
0: are hot. We like numbers. But we do. I was reading the one with the with the immortal version of the Amazing Race, basically. Oh yeah, that's the second one, right? Uh, and the Catherine. Yes, and and she's filing her claws, like she is just sitting there chilling out, filing her claws. And I was like, okay, I officially love this character.
1: Oh, that's it's so, so awesome. Well, there's a, one of my favorite. Of my favorite character in the series is Regan. Who I think is everyone's Regan Lee. I think is everyone's favorite. And there's a scene where she like throws a car into a building because she's a Valkyrie and she's super strong and she's really pissed off. But Which, she throws the,
0: Who doesn't want to throw a car
1: into a building exactly. sometimes? And she throws, but she was trying to throw the specific dude's car, but she got the wrong car. She, she threw some <laughs> random person's car into the building. And the other character's only response to this is wrong car, Regan. Oops. And then she throws the right car. She doesn't like not throw a car, she throws the correct car. And I just I lost it. I just I just laughed. And, she, and sometimes Regan will make, uh, she went through a phase where she made demons eat things like radios and stop signs and spare tires. And I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I laughed for a good 30 minutes straight about that.
0: It was awesome. That is very cool. Oh, so but
1: you- for Regency, um, I think my, again, I'm missing Tessa Dare. And, but I, I really loved, uh, I just read What Happens in London by Julia
0: Quinn, which I fell in absolute love with. It's an adorable book. I know a number of authors who have talked about how there is there is a, a similarity of skill in world building and urban fantasy and world building in historicals.
1: Uh, yes, actually. Well, actually, it's so great. Tessa Adair, Tessa and I had this, had this, had this exact <laughs> conversation where I talked to we talked about world building and she's like, you know, the Regency. In a lot of ways is a fantasy world, and oh, really? it's got these rules that everyone understands that are based on historical fact, but they're it's different. You're in Regency land, and um, but it really is you have to do this entire world building because it's a secondary world, just like fantasy is, in that you have to inform the reader, you can't just say. Like, you know, oh, he got into his Honda. You have to describe the carriage. You have to explain to the reader the difference between like a Phaeton, a phaeton and uh, like a Barouche box. Exactly. You know, you've got to tell us these things because we don't know. It's not our world. And so in a lot of ways, how you think about building a Regency and how you think about building a fantasy, it's the same thought process. You're just with different, you know, Empire waist dresses.
0: And at the same time, when you have a reader that has immersed him or herself in that world, you know that reader is familiar with all the shorthand. Mm-hmm. But you still, in a good book, have to provide it in some way to a make your world unique, and b bring in the readers who haven't read that type of fantasy before.
1: Exactly, and 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 this is where author skill really comes in because there are some authors, and I actually have a I actually have a chapter about this I think in a two K ten called Teaching Your Reader Magic, or maybe it's a blog post. It's somewhere. But anyway, in this, in the there are some this, words uh, somewhere. There are some the words, words somewhere about this. But uh, basically, my kind of philosophy on this, and I think about this a lot as someone who writes fantasy and science fiction and deals almost exclusively with secondary worlds, is you have to teach your reader magic, and a big part of being a good author is teaching the reader without ever letting them know you're teaching them. You can't just info dump. You can't just say this is how stuff works you have to weave it into the story naturally so that they don't know they never realize they're being explained that you're teaching them something until it comes time for them to know it and the trick of balancing all that i actually call it info filling as opposed to info dumping You're info filling you're filling in all the little cracks in your story with information that the reader's going to need for the rest of your book to make sense. And that's how you kind of get around, especially in romance, uh, the problem of you have these readers who know everything and these new readers who know nothing. And your book has to work equally well for both of these groups. And that is a challenge. And that's a challenge. And so it really comes down to how clever you can be as an author with your descriptions and with when you introduce concepts. Because, I mean, one of the things that Regency doesn't have to do, well, you know, take it back, they kind of have to do, is that uh, with... Like I have to deal with magical systems a lot. All my books have their own magic systems for how does magic work. Even in, sci- even in my sci-fi, I've got some, well, they call it plasmex, which is psychic energy, but it's magic. And um, But in Regency, you have to, the magical system is kind of replaced in a lot of ways by the peerage and with the social rules, because totally. that's an entire rule-based system that you have to master and know that is often the device of the tension in the book. You have a girl and society is making her do something and that's where the problem of the book lies. And so it's, it's the same sort of thing. You have a rule system that you have to teach the reader and part of being a good author is doing that in an entertaining and delightful way.
0: Absolutely true. And also when you have a, a system that you must be as a character must be fluent in, in order to navigate, you either have readers who are already fluent, like you said, mm-hmm. or you have a character that isn't fluent and has to hurry up and get there without it being too as you said info dumpy
1: yeah and um the uh, as an author, the outsider character is one of your one of your best tools because they're the person who doesn't understand what's going on and has that they have to have stuff explained to them, and that's where the reader can learn a lot about what's going on and so you have an outsider character, but one of the challenges of Regency fiction and one of the places where I see bad Regencies really kind of flopping um, is when you have a character who is specifically an insider, like a debutante you know, who is already in the middle of her first season Um, so she knows everything, she's been raised to this world, she's an expert, how do you take that expert mindset and translate it to the reader who has no idea what's going on and uh, a lot of times you'll see sort of authors who aren't as good just have a giant paragraph where they explain it like she goes to a dancing lesson and you get kind of an as you know Eloise kind of section where <laughs> they just kind of explain things to her versus um, again to bring up Tessa Dare who I legitimately is probably one of my favorite authors I'm not just name dropping I, I really love her and I think she's fantastic she actually wrote one of my absolute favorite Regencies of all time which is the absolute terrible no good Mr. Wright. And it's a novella, and it's not very long. But in these 30,000 words, she created an entire world, an entire social situation, and probably one of the most beautiful romances I've ever read. And I'm, I, by the time I finished, I was actually kind of mad because I was like, this woman has done in 30,000 words more than I did in three novels with her emotional <laughs> connection. That's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> and because she's just a master at that. And um, but it was it was beautiful. And so in the hands of someone who really takes the time to think about it, you can really come up with something that's very beautiful because I mean, I went into the, 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 the absolute terrible No Good Mr. Wright was my very first Tessa Dare novel. I, I had never read any of her stuff. I didn't know any of these characters. I shouldn't even know if they are repeating characters in that one. But uh, anyway, I, I, I was dumped into this world and I was not familiar, very familiar with Fregecy at that point. Um, so, and it worked perfectly. I, I
0: wasn't confused at all. So if someone is a, uh, a romance reader and they're curious about fantasy or science fiction other than your own books, which obviously is a given, who would you recommend or what books do you recommend? Um, well,
1: I, I actually really like N.K. Jemisin's Inheritance Trilogy. Very beautiful. They're They're just beautifully written books. They're beautifully, the world is incredibly unique um the the main characters are characters of color and NK Jemisin herself is such a talented talented writer and some people have called out the books as being gimmicky because they have a black main character and I'm like how is that a gimmick the the author is black she wrote a black character there is no gimmick wow. i'm white i wrote a white character would you call that a gimmick no it's
0: dumb shut up people of person. color as main characters are a gimmick
1: that's a new yeah, one. I've, I've heard that one, and that I'm just—I just, just want to smack someone through the internet. I, there should be a smack button instead of a like button. Is there um, a? There should be. Is there a romance in the Jemison series? There is. Well, there's a romance in each book, actually. It, they're kind of secondary, so th- the main story is always the fantasy and what's going on. But there's definitely romance, um, especially in the second one. The second one is actually all about a relationship um like that's the actually the main plot and then the first one there's actually a very kind of hot relationship it's pretty hot the, the dude is really hot so i really like that one um i also in terms of like more romance fantasy uh i like the ga aiken's the about a dragon series yep. i love those bugs so because, much. i'm Dragons, sorry dragon obviously yeah and those are hilarious sexy as we, we talked about this rt hyper violent
0: they're- I have the hardest time describing those to people. They are campy, hilarious, extremely violent, super amazingly cool fairy tales that are super sexy and extremely hot and also hilarious but also bloody yeah. and there's gore and battles and intestines and it's hilarious. It's great. So on the on the highbrow side, we have Inka
1: Jimison and on the absolute rollicking fun side, we have about a dragon. yeah Totally. And... Um, also, um, again, other fantasy, like in terms of um, sort of more traditional fantasy that still has romantic elements, um, Jacqueline Carey's *Bane Raker* was one of my. It's it's very dense, but it's basically the Lord of the Rings to- told from the perspective of the bad guys. Whoa, hello! It was so cool, and it was beautiful. It has some of my like, favorite lines. That, lines that I still quote which is like a, one of the characters in one of them says, uh, death is a coin to be spent wisely. And that's become like one of my mottos in writing. Um, death is a coin to be spent wisely. But it's beautiful and it has a, actually a very beautiful romance. It's not it's not very uh, graphic but it's this just true emotional connection. It was a heart-wrenching heart-wrenching book. Just a pair of books as a duology. But if you like Jacqueline Carey's uh, Cushiel series it's, and you're already kind of familiar with her very dense prose and you like that, then Bane was really good. It's one of her less known titles, but it's my favorite. I love it.
0: Cool. So you mentioned earlier that you were working on dragons, mm-hmm. which of course is the thing that I like most. What are, yeah. what are you working on? Book two? I'm working on, I just, I
1: finished the, uh, the second book uh, about a month ago, which is called um, One Good Dragon Deserves Another and uh because we, we got a theme here mm-hmm. nice dragons finish last one good dragon deserves another of course dragon theme um and this book is really fun it, it was kind of a bear for me to write because i i just i just had a i just had a wrong-headed idea about the series and i kept trying to make it work and it didn't work and i can be very stubborn and i kept trying to make it work and eventually i had to just say okay this plot is clearly not working let's back it up and try something totally different and mm-hmm. that's when i fixed it but it took me a lot longer than it should have because of that. But we're on, we're on track now, and I'm very excited about the book. It's all about sort of, you know, in the first book, it was all about Julius gets kicked out. And Julius is my nice dragon. Gets kicked out in the middle of Detroit in the DFZ, which is the Detroit Free Zone, which is ruled by a, by a spirit who has ordered all dragons kill on sight. And his dragon form has been sealed, so he's stuck as a human without all his powers. And he's really just, tr- the, he spends the whole book just desperately trying to survive and keep his head above water. Right and in the second book he's really got his feet under him more and you really start seeing him kind of come into his own and it's the books are you know julius is 24 so he's he's definitely an adult in these books but they're really almost a coming of age story because julius was this big slacker he was you know he lived in his he lived in his mom's basement of her mountain basically um and hiding from all his more powerful siblings and it's the story of how this dragon whose motto used to be, keep your head down, don't draw attention, shut up and hope they go away, starts really coming into his own and standing up for what he believes in. And he is a very nice, nice dragon. He's a very good person in a world where niceness and goodness are seen as unforgivable weaknesses to be exploited. And so he has to kind of be almost... uh, almost aggressively nice, if that makes sense. And I have a lot of fun with that because I, really um, I really love the idea of compassion as, a, compassion as a strength because it gets shown as a weakness so much. Yep. And so I love I loved working with that. And also in this book, uh, the secondary character, Marcy, who's the love interest because it's a little romance um, between Julius and Marcy, and she's a mage. She really comes into her own in this book. Marcy is just amazing. And she is so too short for this ride, but makes it work. Oh, it was so fun. Her stuff is so fun to write. But I mean, it just goes crazy. And uh, yeah, I don't believe in like small stories. All my stories always get enormous and like not in terms of word count, but just in terms of the scale and the scope. I like to go big or go home. And uh, I definitely <laughs> happened in this novel. So it's going to be really fun. <laughs> so your work, you just finished
0: that. Mm-hmm. And what next?
1: Uh, well, next, actually, um, I'm going to take a little break from fiction and write this nonfiction follow up to 2K to 10K. Right. Because I, I just need a little breather and something different to do. Of course. And, um, and then I'm either I'm waffling Uh-oh. between going ahead and starting the third Dragon novel because I'm all pumped about it and I want to get the series out or uh, taking a break from dragons completely Because I've been writing the second one for a year, which is huge for me. I normally write a book in about four months. So because I messed up so bad, I've really burned up a lot of time and I'm just kind of, I was tired of the world. Now I'm all excited about it again because that's how it goes (laughs) in writing. Very mercurial. But I also have entirely plotted out a new trilogy set in the Paradox uh, world where Devi, where the Devi Morris books were set. And so it's more powered armor and it stars a uh, lady named Bex. Who is the captain of the largest, craziest crash team in the Blackbird mercenaries? And so it's this extremely badass, extremely hardcore female mercenary and all her dark secrets and how she gets into all this trouble and the the sainted. It's all about the sainted king and the secrets of paradox. And so that's gonna be really cool if you liked fortune's paw and you like the paradox series it's going to be a real treat or if you haven't read those books this series will also stand on its own and it will have a romance and it's just going to be super
0: fun yay awesome more powered armor and kissing that's that's my thing powered armor kissing dragons i think we just wrote a hit series yeah i i think that probably would easily make a best-selling trilogy (laughs) if not a set of five (laughs) very very easily well this has been really fun Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. And I can't tell you how happy I am that you like Nice Dragons Finish Last.
0: Oh, dude, seriously. I, d- Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> what I particularly like about that book is is the fact that, A, compassion is a strength when everyone in his family thinks that he's nuts for actually caring about humans. And, B, that he handles Marcy's fascination with him with so much embarrassment.
1: Like, he's she, She's like, oh, my God, you're a dragon. Can you breathe like, yeah, fire? Have you yeah. ever eaten
0: a person? like yeah like, I'm a dragon sorry it's it's almost like a twist on the uh hiding in plain sight celebrity story yeah well because to her he's a rock star exactly well I, what I
1: did was uh, again cuz I read a lot of paranormal romance and I specifically kind of set out to make this like not an anti paranormal romance but just sort of a it missed being a paranormal romance by a little bit yep and because uh, Julius is not is not this alpha male dragon. He's, he's totally this, a beta. And he's I love totally beta. Betas. He's totally embarrassed. Like he, he, he has this huge crush on Marcy. He doesn't know what to do about it. Um, and instead all,
0: of where well, I can't kiss you because it'll ruin the friendship. Mm-hmm. It's this human is nice to me and I don't actually have friends and I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that because having a friend is weird. But I really like it.
1: It's like the most important thing to him because he's never really had a friend before because you can't trust dragons. And um, all the dragons who would seem to want to be his friend were just using him. And so to have a person who legitimately likes him for friendship, that's incredibly precious. And even though he really likes her and is very her, he's incredibly terrified of ruining this beautiful thing he's found that he thought he would never have, which is his friendship. Yep. And and I love that. I love that idea. And um, I also really like, but I, I again, I joke, you know. If you were to tell the story from Marcy's perspective, she's totally in a paranormal romance with, like, the most reluctant hero ever. And uh, But I always joke that I made Julius 5'11 because he's one inch too short to be a romance hero. He's one inch too short for that ride.
0: <laughs> to To be honest, I have such a thing for beta heroes, so... Christ, a beta hero who's a dragon. I just need to go lie down. And he's such a and
1: and and I love Julius as a character because he's such a sweetheart. Yes, and the world is so mean, like so it's, it's a nasty, nasty world that he's in, and he's just like nicing his way through it and winning friends. I always joke that the uh, the unwritten subtitle of the books is friendship is magic. You know, <laughs> he he goes around and he's legitimately nice to people, and all these growly dragons kind of start being less growly because he's just so <laughs> gosh
0: darn nice. Yep. He's was a good kid. And and his niceness is a liability to him oh, anywhere yeah. else but in his present situation.
1: Yeah, one of my one of my kind of like uh, mottos in writing is nothing for free but trouble. If yeah. uh, if you're if you're gonna get something, you have to either pay for it or it's a trap and you're gonna pay for it later. And so with Julius, you know, he is nice. And every time through the book, I gave there are so many easy outs where he could have just been a mean person, taken advantage of someone, done something that he didn't believe in, and gotten out with his skin much more easily. And every time I made him stick to his guns, and I just kept testing him over and over again, and it really makes a strong character when you do that. So... Yep. I was very happy with how that came out. Well, I... I really like that book a
0: lot. It's really <laughs> weird to say that to the author and be like, oh, my God, beta hero dragon. I got to go, like, take a moment. But yeah,
1: I, I'm so glad you love it because I was so worried that no one was going to read this book because it's kind of a weird animal. It is. We- a weird. It weird is dragon.
0: It's a, it's a it's a weird place between two genres. And
1: that's kind of the story of my career. I always write, <laughs> I always write things that are in the middle. Powered Armor and Kissing. Oh. Uh... Uh, an epic fantasy that has urban fantasy pacing and is funny. But it's not <laughs> really a comedy. You know, it's, I'm always in the middle. And, and a big reason for that is because I always write what I want to read. And I, I write what I find cool. I don't try to write to a genre. I just write whatever I think is awesome. That's worked both really well and kind of badly for me. Because in traditional publishing, they really want you to be in a genre. Well, they, they want you to be on
0: a bookshelf. Well, of course, my first book um, that I co-authored with Candy, who founded the site with me, Beyond mm-hmm. Heaving Bosoms, is tagged on the back for bookshelving purposes: women's Studies slash Humor. That's not a shelf. That's,
1: yeah, that's not a.
0: There's nobody on that shelf but me. I think. I mean, come, that's not a shelf. And that book was found everywhere in the bookstore. Some people put it in romances, in westerns. There was one technology blogging. Uh, nonfiction, literary criticism. I mean, it was everywhere because it wasn't an easy book to shelve because it's not clearly one specific thing. So when you straddle too, it's great for readers, but harder to be shelved. Exactly. And, and I, I, as a reader,
1: and I know hearing from hearing from my readers that a lot of readers don't really care. They just want a cool story with awesome stuff in it. Um, So they don't really care about what genre it is beyond, you know, I like fantasy or just just as a way to label it. And um, so when I decided I really wanted to try self-publishing some fiction because I wanted to try it out and I wanted to make my own covers. I was so excited about that. I really love all the Dragons covers. I think they're just great.
0: Well, you hired a good illustrator.
1: Oh, I I was like, this is where my money's going. I am going to get the cover I want. And I did. And I was very happy. I hired a really good illustrator because I wanted them to look indistinguishable from my New York books. I wanted people to just look at them and be like, "That that looks awesome," and not, "That's the self published one." Right. Of and course. I think I really achieved that. Um, but I knew I was gonna. I knew right off the bat that I was gonna try some self published fiction. And so I was like, "Well, what should I write?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna write the dragon story because there's I don't know like if I if I wrote it and I tried to sell it to New York, I think I get I'll just get a lot of head scratching." Yep. because it's kind of urban fantasy, kind of post apocalyptic, kind of a romance, kind of a family drama about dragons, you know, it's just it's
0: it's a lot of kindas and that doesn't really shelve well. Nope, and it's it it's harder to to communicate quickly to a bookseller what mm-hmm. this is because of all they, of the books done with a giant catalog. Of course, and they're dealing with this enormous list of Books that are coming out that they need to know what to do with librarians too. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, it's kind of like this and it's kind of like that. One of the things that I thought was so interesting about Fifty Shades of Grey was that it gave a language for people who weren't familiar with romance to understand what that was. This is contemporary erotic romance. Mm -hmm. It is a contemporary novel with erotic content. And then you can say, well, it's like Fifty Shades, but it's more contemporary, less erotic. Or you can say, this is all of the sexy times. It gave people a language to talk about books that previously... They didn't necessarily understand the differences between contemporary romance and historical romance and romantic suspense. And, well, this is contemporary and this is contemporary, yes. But that is Debbie Maycomber and that is Tiffany Rice. And those are two different kinds of contemporary romance. One has BDSM and one does not. (laughs) Yes. and, And I think that, you know, we in the publishing industry are much more
1: concerned about genre than your average readers. Yep. Um, I actually always kind of run into a funny problem when I'm, you know, if I tell someone, oh, I write books, they go, oh, what do you write? And I say, oh, uh, well, I write, I write fantasy. And they're like, oh, like, like Harry elves, Potter. Like elves and Harry so it's, Potter. It's always, it's always for me. It's always, oh, like Harry Potter. And I'm like, no, I write adult fantasy. No, not that kind of adult fantasy. <laughs> time, so, many, so many times. And I make the same mistake every time. <laughs> and I always like, yeah, we need, but you know, a lot of the. You know because you can find genres that are broken down so micro they only have like two or three books in them steampunk western erotica
0: yep with that set in you know the future yep one of the reasons i really like all romance ebooks when i'm looking for something to read and i don't know exactly what i want is mm-hmm. that they have a much more um both all Romance and Omnilit, which are the same company, have a much more. Oh, I didn't know that. They are. And they have I mean, Omni, Omnilit is like stuff other than addition to romance. Mm-hmm. Omni and All Romance both have a very robust tagging system that has a lot more descriptive terminology for different books. So if you are looking for interracial erotica that's historical featuring two men, you can find mm-hmm. that very quickly.
1: Absolutely. And I, I really wish that uh, more booksellers would adopt a tag system because it's much easier to find stuff that way, especially if you're into something that's not really a genre and is more kind of a feel like, you know, I, I like um, I really like beta heroes. And if there was a beta hero tag oh, on Amazon, I would click it and I would read sci fi and I would read contemporary and I read all these things just cuz they had a beta hero in them not because of the genre but you have to categorize it somehow and I I totally understand the purpose of genres but as someone who doesn't color inside the lines so to speak uh, I have found that self-publishing as much has been much more forgiving of that than, uh and I'm able to price my books a lot cheaper which is a giant deal for me because again I I I buy a lot of books I'm a big book buyer Um And I buy a lot of ebooks because that's kind of my primary entertainment that I that I have. I I read all the time, like when I'm sitting on the couch with my kid. He's watching SpongeBob for the 30th time. I'm I'm reading a novel. The ability to price my book at $4.99 was huge for me because as a reader, I it takes a lot for me to buy a book that's over five bucks. Yep, totally true. And my own books through Orbit and I love Orbit. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a fantastic company. But they're all priced at nine 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 ebook, and I'm like the list of people I buy for nine 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 is very short. Oh yes, and I don't want to have to be on someone's short list because I don't think a no- I-, I personally, as reader Rachel, writer Rachel, completely aside, Rachel the book consumer wants novels to be in the you know five to six bucks range or lower. That's what I love. That's what I buy. Yep. I have not bought books I've been interested in because of price, and I very much disagree. With the current publishing pricing strategy for ebooks, being able to do my own pricing on Nice Dragons and give my fans a book at half the price of my normal books was a really, really, really big thing for me.
0: And I was very happy to be able to do it. And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Rachel Aaron for hanging out with me and talking about all of the things. And if you're thinking to yourself, I wish to read many or all of those books, you can visit the podcast entry at Smart Bitches and we will have all of the books linked so you can find them and buy them for your very, very own. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Evernight, the sexy new paranormal novella from New York Times bestselling author Gina Showalter. You can download it wherever ebooks are sold. And as always, the music is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. She's facing brain surgery imminently. So, dude, kick the brain tumor's ass, please. This is The Naughty Step, and it is by the Peat Bog Fairies from their C- CD, Dust. You can find them on their website or on iTunes or wherever all your good music is sold. You should just definitely have Peat Bog in your life, however. It's just a requirement at this point. Future podcasts will include me talking to really interesting people about things that are interesting because, well, that's how we roll. I also have an awesome number of listener mail. And if you're thinking I want to ask questions to me or Jane or any of the guests that we've had, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. But in the meantime, on behalf of Rachel Aaron and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.